welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. For this episode, Federico Tenga of Bitfinex joins me to chat about RGB, what he's working on, and Iris Wallet. Now, for those of you who don't know, RGB is a scalable and confidential smart contract system for Bitcoin and potentially the Lightning Network. Also, we talk a little bit about what it could enable in terms of stablecoins, collectibles, or other assets, how it works, issuing new assets, transferring and deletion, as well as some of the criticisms, one of which is around whether it creates an MEV situation for Bitcoin. So we answer to that question in this episode and we also talk about what he and the team are building which is iris wallet as mentioned this show is brought to you by swan bitcoin swan has a program called bitcoin benefit plan this is something that you would be interested in if you are an entrepreneur or you have employees and you want to give them the gift of bitcoin along with swan's world-class education and customer service so bitcoin benefit plan makes it easy for you to recruit reward and retain top talent with bitcoin swan is handling all the heavy lifting like creating wallets converting currency routing payments and like magic your employees receive bitcoin and world-class financial education monthly as a benefit from you. So this is a great way to help teach your employees and onboard them to Bitcoin in a smooth fashion. So if you're interested in Bitcoin benefit plan, go to swan.com slash business. Are you ready for something huge? BTC Prague is coming. It's going to be the biggest Bitcoin event in Europe. I'm happy to be one of the hosts. I'll be one of the MCs for the event. It's going to be June 8th to 10th 2023 in Prague in the Czech Republic. Now, for those of you who haven't been to Prague, it's a beautiful city. I've been twice. I really enjoyed it. It's also a great opportunity for a small trip. So you might be interested to come along and while you're there, build in some tourism. But this is going to be a fantastic event. It's a three-day event where we're going to have perhaps 10,000 people coming, whether they are fresh newbies, whether they are Bitcoin developers or business insiders, and get connected. There will be more than 60 world-class speakers and 100 companies to assure both education and fun in this Bitcoin-only feast. So this will be a fantastic, relaxed summer atmosphere. You can drink some famous Czech beer, and it has affordable prices too. So go to btcprague.com, use the code Lavera to get your discounted ticket. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Are you looking for a software wallet? Blockstream Green is an industry-leading Bitcoin and Liquid wallet. It has all kinds of features, such as multi-signature security. You can connect it to your own full node Electrum server, and it also has Tor support. So with Blockstream Green, you can use multi-signature shield where you hold one key on your device. One key is held by Blockstream, protecting you with two-factor authentication, and you have a time lock or a third backup key to ensure you always retain full ownership of your funds. Blockstream Green also has integration with hardware wallets like Blockstream Jade and I spoke about this recently with my recent episode with Larry Nahum from the team and it, there's a range of platforms available so you can use this on iOS, Android or desktop. So to get Blockstream Green go to blockstream.com slash green. And now onto the show with Federico. Federico welcome to the show. Hello thank you for the invitation. Yeah great so uh, happy to chat today about RGB and what you're working on with Iris as well. So yeah, just for anyone who doesn't know you, uh, give us a little bit of a background for the people who, who don't know you. Yeah, sure. So I've been involved in Bitcoin for, for quite a long time. Uh, like uh, for about five years, uh, I've been uh, working on a startup project about uh, payment uh, processing for merchants. So I was working like to, to provide infrastructure to help merchants to accept Bitcoin payments. It was uh, 
like uh, on the Italian market, so like very, very, very focused on one specific region. But yeah, like over the years, I've also been uh, following, uh, I've been interested like in anything happening around Bitcoin, I've been following uh, all the, the, the new stuff that was coming out. And one of the things was like uh, RGB, which uh, it's a project that is actually quite old. I mean, it's, it's in many iterations. So the very first uh, idea, the very first thing called RGB uh, came, uh, was an idea that came out in 2017 from Giacomo Zucco, but it was very different from, it was still asset on Bitcoin, but very different from uh, what RGB is now. And then uh, RGB so a few interaction. And uh, I was uh, at the period of just following RGB, like a follow Lightning Network, like uh, just as a hobby, just uh, like uh, was just interesting to see the, the, the evolution of the project. And, uh, and yeah, actually, I was also contributing a little bit uh, when there were like uh, community feedback that were needed. I mean, I was contributing to the project uh, in my free time whenever I could. Then, uh, starting earlier at the beginning of uh, this year, in 2022, uh, I joined uh, Bitphoenix uh, with the goal of creating a, a team inside Bitphoenix to work uh, on RGB. So uh, we create a team that, uh, and the goal of the team is uh, basically just to uh, promote uh, RGB development and the RGB ecosystem. Uh, I mean, there are other companies, other teams working on RGB, uh, but yeah, with our internal team, we try to develop tools to contribute to the protocol itself with PRs and code review, to develop tools for uh, developers and to uh, build a user interface application like the Iris Wallet. To help people play with RGB. Sure. Yeah. So, give us a little bit of a the background then. So, as I understand, RGB, there are multiple people working on this idea. But if you could just, at a high level, step back and tell us what is RGB. So, RGB is uh, is a is a protocol built on top of Bitcoin. We can sit like a second layer uh, on top of Bitcoin that aims. Uh, at uh, uh, enabling uh, the, the issuance and transfer of, of assets on top of Bitcoin. Uh, actually, the protocol is a bit more generalized, so uh, there are ideas to use uh, the RGB protocols to build all the stuff that is not strictly asset or tokens, like, for example, the centralized identity or stuff like this. But uh, yeah, the, the core use case in the uh, near future, in the present and near future, is mostly like issuance and transfer of assets on top of Bitcoin. Actually, the idea is uh, the, the idea by itself is nothing new. I mean, it's uh, the, the same idea of uh, color coin back in the days in 2013. You already had these first protocols to build tokens on top of Bitcoin, such as Counterparty and OmniLayer. And I mean, at the time it was called Mastercoin, but what then became OmniLayer. And then you have also the other uh, alternative blockchain that, uh, that did the same thing to enable the issuance of tokens on top uh, of their blockchain, also like uh, some yeah. side chains like Liquid. Yeah. So you mentioned there some of the earlier ideas that, let's say, came before. So as you mentioned, Colored Coins and Counterparty are probably some of the well-known examples where people were you know, creating a token and it was like a colored coin or some kind of way of representing equity or some other token. Now, how would you differentiate RGB from some of those earlier iterations or attempts? Yeah, yeah. Basically, the problem with those first iterations is that they were designed in a period where uh, also, there were there was different uh, attention to various pr problems that you have when you use Bitcoin. So first of all, there was little uh, attention to privacy and little attention to scalability. So the way they were designed is that uh, basically 
Uh, all the data regarding the, related to the token transaction is uh, is put on the blockchain uh, under uh, usually in the in a off return field. So in the off return field, you, you can see something like a, a token a, a token A is moving from A to B from A to B or something like this. All are written that. So what does it mean? It means that privacy wise, you everybody can see everything. So it's not ideal. And scalability wise, is, is very bad because basically to understand. The, uh, which token transaction is valid, you need to scan the whole blockchain, see, uh, read all these uh, messages written on the blockchain and create your own state uh, of the uh, of the counterparty network or the omni-layer network, whatever. And, and it's like uh, quite expensive. If you, if you ever try to, to run a counterparty node, for example, it's, it's quite uh, resource intensive, let's say. And so, so it's not really scalable. And also, uh, it's not scalable in the sense that uh, they weren't designed to, to be compatible with the stuff like the Latin network, because of course, at the time, the Latin network didn't exist. So RGB uh, was started as a project that was trying to improve on these limitations. And uh, the way he achieved this is that basically the blockchain is used only for double spending protection, not to push data. So in RGB, the information, uh, the, the, the red token is moving from A to B, is not written on the blockchain, is written on a separate layer, and on the blockchain we just put a commitment of this information to leverage the double spending protection that uh, Bitcoin can offer. So in this way we have more privacy, because on the blockchain we don't put uh, all this data, also there are other features that improve privacy even further that we can discuss later on. And uh, we have better scalability because basically, yeah, again, we put less data on the blockchain, so we pay less fees. And uh, moreover, it's easier to build the uh, uh, compatibility with the, with the Latin network, or at least there, yeah, there gotcha. is even an yeah, effort yeah. to do it while there was yeah. not even intention to do it with previous protocols. So let me summarize a few points there because there's a lot here. Um, so let's think of it like in the earlier days of Bitcoin and in the days of Counterparty, Colored Coin, Omni and things like this, that was pre-block size wars or scaling wars. And so, you know, in those days, people just thought of it as like, oh, we could just put lots of things on the blockchain. Whereas now there's obviously more of a focus around this idea of there's a block size limit and we are trying to look at ways to do things in a scalable way. And so that's where this idea of taking things off the chain per se has come into the focus. And so that's where this idea of only putting in certain updates, not everything onto the chain per se, is what we're doing, I presume, in a high level way. That's one way to explain a little bit about what's going on with RGB. And I'm sure, you know, maybe listeners may have heard, you know, our friends Giacomo Zucco or people like Peter Todd out there talking a bit about RGB. But uh, if we can go maybe to one more step of detail, if you could just explain a little bit, oh, one other question, if you could explain what is an op return and how is that used as part of this, just for people who don't know. So basically, yeah, uh, since the early days of Bitcoin, uh, people uh, saw this uh, like uh, immutable ledger, which is the blockchain, and they were saying, oh, yeah, nice, maybe we, I, I could use it also to, to put my own data there. So it stays there forever and is immutable and stays there for the eternity. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's quite uh, an nice idea. People were putting all kinds of messages uh, or like even images and stuff like this. But this is a, is a problem. Like you force uh, all the nodes in the network to actually store those uh, data for you, and uh, which increase the cost of running a node, and which is bad for the decentralization of the network in general. So since you cannot really forbid this kind of behavior, because uh, I mean, if I send uh, some satoshis to a Bitcoin address that is not really a Bitcoin address, it's just a string that encodes some data. 
I mean, there is no way to forbid it because there is not even not way to detect it. So what at some point uh, Bitcoin developers did to mitigate these uh, issues of people putting random data on the blockchain is that they created uh, this uh, uh, new kind of, uh, of uh, way of constructing uh, outputs of a Bitcoin transaction that you can send, uh, you can create a Bitcoin transaction where one of the output is an output that is provably unspendable. Means that uh, there is a uh, the script of the of the output say it is impossible to spend this this output whatever you put here is not going to be possible to spend it which means that the nodes running uh, the running uh, the, the Bitcoin blockchain they can see this and say okay this is never going to be spent so I can prune it out of my uh, of my it's not going to be part of the output I keep track of so like uh, it reduces the, the need for uh, for, for information, it, was, it doesn't need to store this information because there is not relevant for the node to store it. So in a way, it reduces the burden on the node. And so yeah, it's this special kind of Bitcoin outputs that now like uh, people used to to put uh, data on the blockchain is limited side only uh, around eighty bytes can can be uh, of data can be uh, added to a Bitcoin transaction using this uh, special operator outputs. Uh, but it's uh, very good if you it's more than enough for stuff like. Uh, putting commitment to data, like the hash of data, and then you leverage and you create this proof that uh, the data can, since the Bitcoin blockchain has all these immutability properties, also the data that you put there as uh, some guarantees that uh, it cannot be edited or deleted in the future. So it's still good for, for a lot of use cases. And yeah, actually RGB uh, also is a feature that lets you achieve this without using opportunity with, with using more advanced tech but uh, but yeah like uh, most of these protocols in the past uh, they were uh, they were basically just pushing data on the opportunity in this case not even the actual data the, the raw data and uh, so like uh, people can read it and interpret those data yeah and so before we go further into the detail of how rgb works let's talk a little bit about what I think users or listeners might be thinking, well, hang on, what's the point of all this? Like, I just want to use Bitcoin. Well, I don't care about other assets. Like, what's the point of this stuff? As I understand, as I understand, and you tell me where I'm, you know, how you see it as well. But the way I'm understanding it is this might be useful in the case of issuing stable coins. And maybe for some people, now I don't care about NFTs at all, but for some people who care about NFTs, maybe that's useful for them and other kinds of assets. So can you just explain from your point of view, what are the main uses? What's the point of using all this RGB stuff? Well, I mean, we can say what are the main use cases for tokens in the general, like uh, already existing crypto market. So yeah, people, I mean, yeah, there are tokens for uh, promoting Ponzi schemes, which is one thing, uh, but there are also like uh, use cases that uh, may or may not be more valid. So one of the stablecoin is for sure the more uh, most popular uh, use case for, for tokens. On top of uh, Bitcoin and other blockchains, and uh, and yeah, the stablecoin is actually like a key element to enable like decentralized trading, uh, because yeah, right now people that wants to to trade they either go to to centralized exchanges like uh, like FTX or others that that are managed better than FTX, or uh, to uh, automated market makers on Ethereum, uh, which I the in a way, they use a stable coin, but also yeah, they have other problems that maybe I mean, we can discuss later on. But the idea is that like, we need stable coin to enable like uh, uh, decentralized trading. If we have a stable coin on top of Bitcoin, we can have uh, like netted, uh, like, like atomic swaps uh, on the same chain between uh, Bitcoin and uh, a stable coin. And uh, in this way, it is possible to create a truly decentralized, uh, a truly decentralized market with Bitcoin against USD or whatever. 
so I mean, you can short the US dollar directly on Bitcoin or stuff like this. Uh, this yeah, and also like uh, currently, I mean, we love to the idea that uh, everybody uh, in uh, in the world uh, will use Bitcoin for payments. But the reality is that uh, most people don't uh, want to bother uh, with the volatility of Bitcoin. So currently, stablecoins are playing a, a real role in uh, in emerging markets where uh, they have a, a weak uh, local currency that is subject to hyperinflation. I mean, real hyperinflation, not the one we we complain in. Uh, in developed economies, and uh, and the, the US stablecoin is uh, is something that helps them right now to solve their problem. They have exposure to the US dollar, which uh, we don't like, but for them is uh, orders of magnitude better of uh, of uh, what they have right now of their local currency, and uh, they can use it freely uh, without having to rely on a banking infrastructure that doesn't even uh, exist uh, in in their countries. So right now, like. Uh, if we uh, can enable people to pay with stable coins, uh, it, it already makes a huge impact. And we may say that uh, like a stable coin may not last forever, which is fair enough. It's the reason why we need Bitcoin. But uh, right now, it's it's, it's perfectly. I mean, it's it's a use case that people need, uh, whether we like it or not. And uh, and yeah, to let people do it on, on top of Bitcoin instead of uh, uh, of other like uh, blockchains that. Uh, can have uh, like uh, security trade-offs. It's for sure something desirable. Then other than stable coin, yeah, like uh, I mean, like e- even myself, I, I'm I never bought an NFT in my life. That I don't uh, feel the need to do so. But there is uh, people that uh, are into. There is uh, obviously a market for it. Actually, it was uh, one of the first uh, use cases uh, built on top of Bitcoin, where like this red papers in 2013 that were basically NFTs, uh, but uh, yeah, with another name. And hey, I mean, there is an interest for that for like collectible tokens. I mean, yeah, also NFTs is a very specific term. I like to use more the collectible tokens, which is a bit more broad. Uh, there is an interest for collectible tokens. I think there is also connected to the gaming industry. I hear a lot of people working in the gaming industry that are somewhat interested in it. Not everybody needs to be interested in it. Even myself, I'm not. Uh, I, I don't have a huge interest in collectible tokens, but it's still a use case that is there in the market. And uh, yeah, if people uh, can do it on top of Bitcoin, they will prefer it uh, rather than do it on other chains. Now, and then like the third use case that I see that is not uh, uh, currently really uh, working right now, but in a future where security tokens, uh, uh, there is a some jurisdiction with good regulation for security tokens, also those, they may start uh, playing a role in this uh, ecosystem. I see. So let me summarize then. So stable coins are pretty obvious. I think most people understand that, that maybe there are people in the developing world who, of course, understand there's a risk with the likes of stable coins, but they may prefer that to, or they may not have an option where they can have USD with their local bank in their local country. And so for their, from their point of view, maybe they prefer to use Tether. And so hypothetically in the future, and obviously you work for Bitfinex and Bitfinex has, you know, commonality with Tether that in the future, we could have Tether that's issued on top of RGB, presumably, and using your RGB wallet, then the idea is that the customers or the users can have Tether as part of an RGB asset that they can trade back and forth. That's that's kind of one of the ideas. 
like in the future that that would happen right yeah, yeah. If everything works well yeah that uh, would be a nice achievement yes yeah and so that's one idea and then as you as we mentioned the collectibles or the nft aspect and then the third aspect is in the future if it's actually an explicit security right it's not like this kind of nonsense ftt token and stuff like this but if it's like actually the regulatory environment of this particular country i mean who knows maybe even el salvador with their digital securities law maybe they would people could actually trade actually registered securities at, at, you know inside an app using this kind of technology is that kind of high level i'm getting is that the right idea or how would you explain it no yeah i think yeah this is the main idea also maybe there are other kind of use cases that people can work on like a gift card or like a generic kind of credits uh, stuff like this but yeah like maybe i would like also to address a common a common critic of it is like why do we need that decentralized blockchain like uh, bitcoin for uh, assets that are in nature centralized which is like a fair point uh, but the thing is, uh, first of all, like, uh, okay, having a centralized issuer is one thing, but having a centralized uh, uh, maintainer of a centralized ledger is uh, it's an extra uh, counterparty risk that, uh, that you may be happy to avoid. And also issuers themselves, uh, they may not want to, uh, like in most cases, they, they don't have the, the capabilities to manage their own infrastructure to, to, to move the, the asset that they're issuing. So uh, you, they will have to delegate to a third party. So you add uh, another party that you need to trust. While if you use something that decentralized, you avoid this extra risk. And uh, and yeah, maybe like uh, in the future, Bitcoin fees may be very high. So uh, a lot of people may prefer to use a centralized uh, layers to uh, to do this kind of trade. Uh, I mean, like. Uh, for a lot of stuff, maybe you can use a second layer stop on top of Bitcoin, like Lightning Network, but it may not work for illiquid assets. Uh, but yeah, if people prefer to, so for low value transaction, people may, may 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 say, okay, why do I need to deal with all this decentralized stuff? I can just use a centralized layer and it works better. But if you are something that has a lot of value, say you have uh, you are holding like 10 millions of stablecoin or 10 million of security or whatever you still want the most secure layer that is out there. So you are willing to pay the price that, uh, that in, com- in terms of, of fee and complexity that, uh, that Bitcoins, uh, uh, that is necessary to, to use Bitcoin because you have such, uh, such a high quantity of value at stake that, uh, that yeah, you prefer to have it on the most secure uh, blockchain and the most secure uh, decentralized ledger rather than something else. So I think that uh, there will always uh, be some people that even with uh, assets issued by a centralized issuer, they will still prefer to hold them and move them on a decentralized, more secure uh, ledger like the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah. Okay. So let's actually get into some of the technicals now and talk a little bit about how it works. Now, as I understand, currently today with RGB, we're, we're acting mostly on-chain. And in the future, there's this idea that we can do it in a more like lightning let's say but let's just start with the basics of how would you create a new rgb asset and how do we send those assets to each other yeah so basically when i create a new rgb asset what i'm doing is i'm creating kind of like a, a contract let's say uh, where i say okay uh, i am creating a, a 1000 unit of uh, asset a and uh, i assign it to the uh, utxo values for, for this quantity so basically, it's just a contract that uh, uh, created the concept of a new asset and assigned it to an existing Bitcoin Tixo. So it doesn't even require an on-chain event, the issuance. You just say, I, I assign 
this uh, new asset to this existing bit Bitcoin XO or to a list of Bitcoin XO. You can say I issue 1000 unit and I assign like 100 to Alice, 100 to Bob and so on and so forth. And, uh, and yeah, this is basically the issuance. Uh, then, uh, of course, you can add like uh, extra metadata, extra parameters, uh, you can add extra complexity, but the, the, the very simple basic case is simply asset. I, I give the asset, uh, red, red asset, red token, uh, assigning well, supply, top, max, maximum supply 1000 unit assigned to Alice uh, and maybe other people, uh, like in a fractional uh, way. Then, when I want to transfer these assets, the asset has been allocated to, in this case, the UTXO of Alice. So, the uh, only way to move the asset is to prove that you are the owner of the UTXO of Alice. And the way you can prove it is by creating a Bitcoin transaction that has as input uh, the UTXO, the Alice UTXO. So Alice creates this transaction that put, uh, and, and uh, among the inputs, he has the, uh, the, uh, the UTXO that where the assets were allocated. Uh, and then he creates a, uh, a body of the RGB transfer which says, okay, these uh, uh, 100 tokens that before were all allocated to the uh, UTXO of Alice, now they will be transferred to the UTXO of uh, Bob or Dave or whoever uh, she wants. This UTXO, where the assets are be sent to, they are already existing UTXO on the Bitcoin blockchain. So she could actually send this asset to the uh, UTXO of Satoshi from 2009. It doesn't, it's not be, it doesn't need to be a new UTXO that you create with the transaction. Can be an already existing one. Okay, so once you created this uh, body of the RGB transfer, where you say this token are moving from Tixo uh, of Alice to Tixo of uh, Satoshi, then uh, you you basically you create, to simplify you create the hash of this uh, uh, of this uh, transfer and you committed in the Bitcoin transaction that is spending the Tixo of Alice that uh, added the asset before. So in this way, you are proving that you are the owner and you're committing to the destination of where the assets are going, but without revealing it to blockchain observers. Blockchain observers just saying, okay, uh, there is uh, some Satoshi that are moving from uh, TXO A to a new Bitcoin address. The new Bitcoin address will uh, uh, normally be uh, a change address uh, of Alice of the sender. So the blockchain server doesn't see anything, uh, but uh, the, the receiver of the transaction, okay, say Bob uh, is the receiver of the transaction, will receive from Alice the body of the RGB transfer, and he will be able to verify that this RGB transfer was committed inside the Bitcoin transaction that was spending that we saw the, all the assets. So, uh, so in this way, only the party involved in the transfer are aware that the transfer even exists, because the, only the receiver basically is the one that needs to validate that this transfer is valid. Everyone else is, is not his business, is not interested in it. So in this way, the blockchain server doesn't see anything. It just sees a normal Bitcoin transaction, one input, one output, uh, nothing. Uh, Maybe he may use some heuristics to suspect that uh, an RGB transaction may be involved, but uh, yes, uh, no way to, to prove it. And the, the, the receiver uh, uh, of the transaction can uh, validate that the RGB transfer is, is valid according to RGB validation rules, and it has been committed to the, uh, to the right uh, Bitcoin transaction. And once he's done this validation, he can be sure that uh, he actually received the asset and he will be able to spend them in the future. And uh, yeah, and they, and they are the only one aware of uh, that uh, this RGB transfer actually happened. I see. So just summarizing, let's say you can create an asset, like let's say you create Federico coin, you know, you make a hundred Federico coins 
And as we said, you don't have to do a new transaction to issue the asset. But when you spend some of those Federico coin, let's say you send some Federico coin to me, as an example, I use my, in this example, Iris or whatever, RGB wallet. I create, is it like a blinded, kind of like an address sort of thing. And then you can send some, you know, 50 Federico coin to me. And at that point, there is an on-chain transaction in Bitcoin blockchain, but there's not like an op return or something there. It's just as part of that transaction, my wallet, let's say, is able to read that and see, oh, Federico has sent me 50 Federico coin. Is that sort of yeah, roughly yeah. what's it's happening there? Your wallet is able to, to understand it because it's the only one that received from me the information to understand it. Yeah. I send directly from my wallet to your wallet direct communication. I send you this information. Yeah, I see. And as we're saying, right now, today, it's all on-chain. So that means every time there's an RGB asset transfer, it's all happening on-chain, which means obviously that won't scale longer term. But for now, that's kind of where it's at before we move to the next level, right? Yes, but also we uh, actually already uh, today, uh, we have uh, some uh, on-chain scalability that we can already leverage in the form of batching. So when I send you this transfer, I could also send, uh, uh, I could also, with the same transfer, pay uh, other 100 or 1,000 people, any amount of people. Uh, I can send uh, uh, some tokens to your UTXO, but also to the UTXO of uh, Alice, Bob, uh, Carol, Dave, uh, and so on. Yeah. And uh, this doesn't uh, increase the size of the Bitcoin transaction. So yeah, the Bitcoin transaction containing the commitment is still like, uh, in the best case, one input, one output. And that is commitment to committing to a transfer that uh, is paying like uh, an arbitrary large amount of people. So uh, maybe for normal people, it is not so common. It's not so common for like a regular user to pay a lot of people, but for service providers, it's very common. So if I'm an exchange operating withdrawal to a lot of people, uh, instead of uh, like right now with any other uh, like uh, token protocol or any other like uh, crypto payment more in general, I basically need either to create one transaction for every receiver or one transaction with uh, a lot of uh, outputs. That means that it becomes like a very large transaction that takes a lot of bytes on the blockchain. With RGB, you create a simple transaction that uh, that, that that is the, the, the normal size, like uh, 200, 300 bytes, and you pay as many people as you want. So basically the uh, marginal cost of uh, oper operating a withdrawal to your user can go like closer to zero if you're paying a lot of people together. Back to the show in a moment. My favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet and signing device manufacturer is CoinKite.com. They have a range of products, notably the Cold Card, which is their top of the line Bitcoin hardware signing device. It's a very reliable performer. I've found it very useful in various setups, whether you want to use it as part of single signature or multi-signature. It has all kinds of other features like BIP85, which allows you to have child seeds. So for example, you can have one seed that you retain and you can have child seeds that you give either for other wallets or let's say if you're helping your family or friends so that you still have the backup. There's all kinds of features available. You can learn more over at coinkite.com. Get a discount on your cold card with the code Levera. Now, when it comes to partaking in the Bitcoin space, you need to be able to search your Bitcoin transactions. And my favorite block explorer is mempool.space. 
Bitcoin is a multi-layer ecosystem and mempool.space is helping you by showing you the various aspects of this ecosystem, whether you are seeing the mempool, whether you are seeing the blockchain, whether you are seeing second layer networks like the Lightning Network. You can use the Lightning Explorer to search other Lightning nodes. You can even see Lightning channels and you can even see the out point, which is the actual UTXO that represents that Lightning channel. So I think it's a phenomenal Bitcoin and blockchain explorer. You can use it to search your transactions and you can even self-host this so you can run it yourself. Now, if you are with an enterprise, mempool.space offers custom mempool instances. So you can have your company's branding, increased API limits and more over at mempool.space slash enterprise. And finally, Unchained Capital are helping you with multi-signature security for your Bitcoin. If you need to remove single points of failure, Unchained Capital can help. They have a concierge onboarding program where you can pay upfront. You can have hardware sent to you if you need it. They can do a call with you and teach you even if you've never held your Bitcoin private keys before. So this can really help you have that safety and security feeling at night when you know that even if you made one mistake that doesn't mean you necessarily lose all your coins because you have removed single points of failure and unchained really go that extra mile to make sure that you are not being reliant on them because you can transact in a self-sovereign way and if you're interested to learn more about how it all works you can find out more at unchained.com slash concierge use the code lavera for a discount there and now back to the show i see yeah and so that's a yeah so that's an interesting on-chain scalability approach and so then you can issue this coin and so then and presumably then every time it transfers again from that person so let's say you send me 50 federico coin i can then send that on uh and it's the same kind of process that it's just like one input one output same aspect and then whoever i'm sending to they do that same validation on their side oh okay stefan has sent me 50 federico coin Okay. And so then is there a possibility of like conflicts and then you need to sort of check against the ledger or how how does that work? Like how do you stop there being any conflicts of, let's say, who is the true owner of these coins? Well, basically like the way to the, the way we have to resolve block, uh, conflicts is to, yeah, to leverage the, the Bitcoin blockchain. So uh, if uh, somebody tries to create a fake RGB transaction, let's say I try to do, to do a, a double spend. I'm trying to pay you and then I try to pay someone else. Uh, how would that work? So I create uh, an RGB ah, Okay, I, I have my, my tokens on my UTXO, uh, like uh, those I have for reals. First, I try to pay you. I create an RGB transfer that is paying you, and then another RGB transfer that is paying someone else. Uh, the thing is that uh, the Bitcoin transaction that is pending my UTXO can only contain one, one commitment. Uh, so the, the way that the commitment scheme is designed, like... Uh, Basically, if you put more than one commitment, only the first one is the one and we, we will all look at. So it can only contain one commitment. So it either co contains the commitment of the, the, the transfer I sent to you or it contains the commitment of the transfer I sent to someone else. So uh, when you validated the, 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 the transfer that I sent to you, you will check, okay, is my transfer committed inside the Bitcoin transaction spending the UTXO that had the token? If yes, then you're, you're sure that you are the only person receiving the token. If not, you know that I'm trying to, to scam you, basically, to, to double spend something that I already spent. And then, yeah, of course, you can have reorgs on the blockchain, but then, yeah, you, you, you manage them, you manage the Bitcoin. Uh, with yeah, the same customers. way normal reorgs are done, yeah. And in terms of validation, what kind of things do I need to run on my side? Like, do I need to run an Electrum server or, like, how does the... 
you know, if I want to validate that transaction that you send me, how do I do that? Yeah. So basically, uh, first of all, you need you need to, to run this uh, RGB node, which validates all the RGB specific rules, and then you need to, to check that uh, uh, those uh, Bitcoin transaction that I say uh, where I claim there is a commitment of the RGB transfer, they actually exist on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, so currently, uh, like uh, Iris and also the, the other uh, wallet that uh, other people are working on, they use an Electrum server to do so. Uh, but yeah, in general, you just need to check that those transactions exist on the blockchain so you can use any indexed uh, uh, blockchain to do so. But yeah, currently, like everybody's using an Electrum server to do so. I see. Gotcha. And so what about if there's changes down the line? So let's say at the start, you issue 100 Federico coin, but now yeah. you want to issue another 100 or, you know, uh, can you can you create new coins or can you like, h- how do you stop that or control that basically? Yeah, basically, there are two ways of doing it. The simple way is uh, to, uh, let's say you, uh, when I issue like a Federico co- uh, coin, I just issue to the like uh, maximum number possible and I allocate it to one with XO and it's going to be like uh, the total supply. And then uh, I, I move to another UTXO what I want to be the circulating supply. So people can, uh, as long as people see that the, the UTXO containing all the tokens is not being spent, they can verify that uh, what is the circulating supply against the total supply. And then like when I spend it again, I can disclose how much of the token I put in, in circulation and, and people again can verify what is the circulating supply against the total supply. And another way of doing it, there is a feature that is being built in RGB is that to have uh, basically the right for secondary issuances, that we, which actually will work in a very similar way. I assign the right to issue more token to an UTXO, uh, that yeah, usually will, will be my UTXO or it can be another person with UTXO. And, uh, and yeah, like when you spend the UTXO, you have the right to issue new, new tokens. So yeah, in, in general, like uh, it's similar to how it works in many token protocols, also uh, like uh, on, on other chains. There is uh, basically when you have uh, the, the right to issue again, there is one usually in those cases one key, but in the case of RGB one tick, so that is uh, the right to to either issue new quantity of token or to put in circulation new quantity of tokens. Yeah, so that would be like thinking of the stablecoin use case in this example. Let's say you're creating a stablecoin and you you know people have sent you one thousand USD in fiat and now you have to create one thousand stablecoins and then now they've done more deposit so you have to create more stablecoin. It's the same kind of idea. So you you might have that, or let's say in the future, Tether might do an RGB, you know, RGB Tether and do this kind of process. And then but on that basis, all the RGB wallets out there can be transacting Tether with each other, but there's only one issuer of the, you know, that Tether. And so I guess in that case, uh, how do you make sure there's only like one true issuer or is it like a whitelisting process? Or how do you make sure that you have the real, you know, the real stablecoin uh, asset? Well, yeah, that's like a yeah, common problem with uh, all the uh, digital assets, like how we are sure that it's the real one. So, yeah, basically the issuer will have to disclose. Basically, the, the, what makes, I, I, like when I issue an asset, I can give it any name. I can call it uh, Apple shares, I can call it Tether, I can call it anything. So there is no guarantee that the, the asset name is, uh, is the true reflection of, of what the asset is. Uh, so the only thing that makes the asset unique is the asset ID. Uh, which is like yeah a unique identifier uh, that, that basically 
use all the parameters that uh, everything that contributes to the issuance goes into this asset ID, which makes it unique. And uh, and so yeah, the issuer uh, the, like if Apple say issue Apple stock on 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 HB, Apple will say will have to disclose what is the HB ID of the true Apple stocks. Uh, so yeah, either user uh, check it every time they receive uh, check it manually every time they receive uh, an Apple stock, or more realistically, yeah, the wallets will be able will whitelist the popular assets that uh, they are aware of, and they will mark them as verified or something. But yeah, this is a wallet level thing. One other question now, going the other way. So instead of issuing, but what about deletion? Or let's say in this example, let's say the Tether user, the RGB Tether or Tether RGB user wants to redeem some back into fiat, into USD cash. So let's say he sends you, you know, a thousand Tether RGB and now you need to lower the supply. Is that the same similar kind of process? Only this one key can do it? No, no, actually, like uh, in this case, anybody, I mean, if, uh, like, yeah, to lower the supply, you need to basically burn tokens. And yeah. Uh, yeah, anybody can burn tokens. So, yeah, like, probably in something like a stable coin, uh, more realistically, yeah, you send it back to the issuer because the issuer then, uh, like, uh, gives you back something else. And the issuer will operate the proof of burn. So, we will burn the token and create like a public proof that that quantity of tokens have been burned. So, wallets can keep track of the wallets, or anybody that is interested can keep track of the circulating supply of the token. But, yeah, potentially anybody can burn it. It's just that in RGB, you can burn silently. So, you could, there is uh, is not visible to a blockchain of servers how much stuff has been burned. So, uh, you will have to disclose it. So, in this case, yeah, the person that the entity that would be interested to to make sure everybody is aware of the burn will be the issuer to to yeah. offer transparency on, on the circulating supply. Gotcha. So I guess the short answer is the stablecoin issuer in this in the, in that example would do a public proof of burn basically, yep. and then give back the dollars or whatever other asset. Um, and so the other question um, I guess is to get into sort of the taproot and lightning aspects of it. So currently is RGB and Iris in this example, specific example, is it using Taproot now or is the idea to use that in the future? Uh, RGB supports Taproot now, but Iris is not using right now. So uh, there are two ways to commit to an RGB transfer uh, in RGB. One is by uh, putting like the, the hash of the RGB transfer, which is actually a top hash of a Merkle tree with a lot of data, but yeah, to simplify the hash of the RGB transfer in an operator, uh, which is... Uh, not so elegant, but it's very simple to implement. And the other way is to put it inside a leaf of the taproot tree. So you create a taproot output, which will also going to be the, the output to where you send your change satoshis back to. And in the taproot output in, in a, a tap leaf of the, of the taproot tree uh, that, that can potentially contain all the scripts or, like, or just the internal key for the simple case, then you put the commitment to the RGB transfer. In this way, there is you save about like 40 bytes of on-chain data, and uh, you take away one heuristic that people can use to suspect that that one is an RGB transfer. Even with the operator, actually, I mean, you just see an operator with an hash that could be like open test stamp or anything else, so you don't have a proof that it's an RGB transfer, but still it's an heuristic that people could use. So yeah, there is these two ways. Currently, Iris is using the operator one because it's just simpler to implement, so we start with the simple one. Uh, 
Uh, but yeah, in the future, we, we will probably uh, eventually migrate to the Taproot uh, commitment. Okay. And then what does it look like if you're going to Lightning and you're trying to do something like Lightning? How would What would that look like? Yeah, basically like uh, a GP transaction, a GP transfer commit to Bitcoin transactions. Those Bitcoin transactions can be broadcasted on the blockchain immediately or they can be uh, Lightning channel updates that uh, may or may not be settled on the blockchain uh, right away. So uh, what you will do, what what, uh, what uh, we plan to do is not to be in, it's, there is, some work has already been done, but the implementation of the Latin part uh, is still, uh, yeah, still needs to be done. Uh, what we will do is basically to get RGB transfers that commit, that, that which, of which the commitment is uh, uh, inside the uh, channel update, of a Latin network channel update, and so I can, as I can replace the uh, uh, Lightning Network channel update for Bitcoin transfers, I can do it the same with RGB transfers. So I create an RGB transfer. We create, uh, we have a Lightning channel between each other. Then I create an RGB transfer that moves like yeah, 100 tokens to you. I commit it to uh, to our channel update transaction, and then uh, we don't broadcast it to the blockchain because then you will send me back uh, like 20 tokens, and we will do an update where that. We will update with a new RGB transfer that only moved 80 tokens to you because actually it was 100 to you and 20 back to me, so something like this. And, uh, and then, yeah, with the same mechanism, you can also do, do routing uh, through a series of uh, uh, RGB-aware channels. I see. So, yeah, so it would take a specific RGB lightning format. And there may be kind of like, it's not exactly the same as the Lightning Network today, but it's similar conceptually in certain aspects, but has other aspects that are different, I suppose. It's going to be like a separate network, uh, but still like uh, leverage the, the, the same code, the same technology of the Latin network, yeah. I see, yeah. Okay, gotcha. So while we're here, could you give us some of the similarities and differences with Taro then? Because I'm sure that's a lot of listeners will be curious about that. So how is this? different from say taro yeah uh, so like uh, first of all like uh, i'm not a huge expert of tar so i i i may have uh, i may do some little mistakes in explaining tar but uh, yeah from uh, my understanding uh, first of all rgb and taro are quite similar in design which actually i mean it's good because the, the client side validating model is being validated as a, as, a, as a design so it's not only rgb doing it but also someone else so it's, it's good that uh, we validated that the design is uh, is actually good so yeah, like Taro was in a very similar way to everything that we just described. The only, like, of course, like the implementation is going to be significantly different because they, they use like another uh, language actually is mostly written in Rust, Taro is mostly written in Go. And also like, yeah, of course, then when you implement stuff, there can be a lot of differences in the implementation. But on the protocol side, the main difference uh, I am aware of is the way um, transfers happens. So as I was saying before, in RGB, I can I have tokens to one UTXO, I can move it to any UTXO uh, in the in, on the blockchain, also like already existing ones. While in Taro, the way they are uh, uh, doing it is that you can only transfer token to outputs of the same Bitcoin transaction uh, that uh, is pending the UTXO and that contains the the, the commitment to the Taro transaction, which uh, basically the consequence of it is that, uh, first of all, like you create uh, a link on the blockchain between sender and receiver. Uh, still, it may not be uh, apparent that that is a Taro transaction, 
But if you do, you have a clear link who is the center, who is the receiver, what with RGB you don't. Even if you understand that that one is an RGB transaction, you have no idea who received the tokens. And, uh, and uh, yeah, actually, I, I forgot to mention before, but in RGB, even me, when I send you the token, I don't know where I'm sending them to because you don't show me your UTXO, you show me like a blended UTXO. So I'm not able to monitor when you will spend them again. So you have like also privacy from the people that sent you the token, which normally when I send you Bitcoin, even if you create a new address for it and I don't see anything of your current balance, I can still see, oh yeah, oh, look, Stefan spent the Bitcoin that I sent him like last week. And uh, yeah, I can in a way violate your financial privacy quality, much business possible. In Taro, yeah, basically you can only uh, move uh, Taro tokens to the outputs of the same Bitcoin transaction, which means that both me as a sender and any blockchain observers can see where the tokens are and when they will be spent in, in the future. Uh, any blockchain observer that is aware that that one is a Taro transaction. This also has another consequence that basically you need to uh, add one output for every receiver of the Taro transaction, which means that uh, the case of a service provider that is paying like uh, hundreds of people together in needs to create, yeah, it can still be one single Bitcoin transaction, but will be a single Bitcoin transaction with a lot of outputs, uh, which yeah, will cost more in fees. So you, you miss uh, on the batching uh, capabilities that uh, RGB has. And also like um, the other consequence of that is that basically if I need to create, um, basically, I need to create an optics software view to have the Tarot asset. So I create a Bitcoin transaction and I need to create outputs where I can send the tokens to and those outputs also need to have a Bitcoin balance. So it will be weird for me to also spend some of my Bitcoin to, to give them to you because I will have to price it in transaction. It will be complicated. So what will uh, realistically happen is that you as a receiver need to add an input to the transaction so that you can contribute for the satoshis needed to create the new ticks for you, which adds a bit of complexity, but um, that is fine. That can be handled by by a good implementation. Uh, but also, yeah, again, it increases the size of the transaction because you need we need to add an input which actually is also much larger than an output. So it, it increases significantly the size of the Bitcoin transaction and consequently the cost. So yeah, those are the main differences I'm aware of. For everything else, yeah, for there are small differences here and there, but. Um, I would say nothing that uh, uh, significantly change uh, trade-offs. Uh, also, like yeah, actually another thing is that like, but this is more like an implementation thing. Uh, like Taro team seems to be more focused on one use case, that is like uh, stable coins, uh, while RGB is being developed in a more generalized way that can more easily accommodate also other use cases. So yeah, like this is maybe why Taro can move a bit faster with the implementation because they're targeting just one use case while RGB is trying to build something more generalized, more future-proof. Okay. And probably, I guess, fair to say Taro is maybe a little more, like, they're starting with Lightning, I suppose, than... Well, actually, I think that even they might be starting with on-chain, but maybe they're going to they're gonna kind of shift into the Lightning aspect of it sooner because they are a Lightning team, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah you need on-chain to have Lightning because, yeah, Lightning itself is built on top of uh, on-chain. Uh, but yeah, like, yeah, this is an implementation wise, they may have an advantage because they have already have the Latin node. They will have to do significantly changes to the Latin node, so it's still not going to be a working part. But, uh, but yeah, for sure, they, they can have an advantage in building the Latin network compatibility because of, of the team, that's for sure, yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Iris Wallet, right? So we've been talking, I guess, 
in a little bit about both things, right? We've been talking about RGB, the broader idea, and then Iris. So do you want to tell us specifically about Iris and what you guys are doing? I've, I've had a chance to play around with um, Iris Wallet on my phone as well. So what can you tell us about Iris? Yeah, so basically uh, Iris is an uh, is, uh, Android wallet for RGB-compatible RGB Android wallet that uh, we developed uh, with our team in Phoenix. Uh, we developed mostly with the goal to have something that the end user can uh, play with to have a feeling of uh, RG- what RGB is like and to start uh, maybe to, to build the first uh, basic use case with it to have like a reference wallet that people can use. Yeah, so to, to, but we also build it in a, uh, say, uh, scalable way in the sense that to build Iris, we first build uh, a library, that uh, an open source Rust library that any wallet developers can use to build their own wallet without having to fully uh, understand all the technicalities of RGB. Because RGB is actually a quite compli- complex protocol. So if every wallet developer needs to fully understand RGB, it's not gonna, we are not going to be a large amount of... Uh, RGB compatible wallets uh, and like existing Bitcoin wallet, then they, they wouldn't bother to, to, to integrate RGB. So we built this library called RGBLib, which abstract most of the complexity of RGB and provide a simple interface uh, that is very, so that it makes it much easier to build a wallet. So with the Rust library, we made also the, the, the binding for Kotlin. So then the, your mobile device actually run the full RGB node. And, uh, and and doesn't use any external. It doesn't rely on uh, external services, if not an Electrum server, to to validate uh, RGB transactions. Actually, uh, also realize so uh, for the Electrum server, it connects to an Electrum server by default. It will be the Electrum server that we provide, but you can change it to your own Electrum server. So uh, so yeah, you have like better privacy and, and everything in that way. And also another service that you use is uh, currently use a. Uh, what we call proxy server to exchange uh, data between sender and receiver. And uh, there is this remote server that makes sure that transactions can happen even if the two parties are not online at the same time. So I say I'm sending you uh, uh, an RGB transfer, but you're not online right now. I send it to this proxy server. And then when you are online, you ask the proxy server for the data. You can validate it and, and uh, move forward with the finalization of the transaction. Uh, but also this proxy server can be like... Uh, by default, it's our proxy server, but you can set up your own proxy server and uh, and use like any proxy server you want. Gotcha. So for people who want to play around, they can download Iris Wallet. Yeah. And it's currently testnet, so you need to get some testnet sats. I think it's over 10,000 sats to be able to issue an asset, and then you can play around. Yeah, so, so, so basically, yeah, right now you can, from, from the Play Store, you can download the, 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 the testnet version, so you don't need even need to put real Bitcoin to, to try it. And uh, you can like issue assets. There are like uh, two kinds of assets. You can have like fungible, which are like normal assets, collectible, which are assets with a mediified, like for NFTs, let's say. So yeah, you can issue assets, you can move them around, you can play around. And then yeah, the, there is uh, also like uh, a faucet service that like uh, lets you uh, ask for uh, like a free token that you can receive just to, to also have a, if you don't have anyone else that you can play with, you, you can just receive the token from the faucet service. So yeah, right now it's more like a playground for end users to, to to try to have a feeling of what RGB is like and to also like see uh, how it was behind the scene. But yeah, like then uh, of course like uh, it will evolve. Uh, I think Iris will evolve in a power user product, and then there will be other wallets that uh, that will be maybe more like uh, I don't know if we want to have uh, when we, there will be a stable coin, maybe there will be a wallet that only has like Bitcoin and a stable coin to keep it simple. You cannot issue your own stuff in the wallet. 
it will be a more user-friendly wallet. Uh, uh, that I expect they will be the one that uh, will actually get the, the true adoption, while Iris will remain more like a power user tool. Gotcha, yeah. And also, now might be a good time, if you could help explain some of the ecosystem a little bit around RGB just quickly, like who are some of the different entities? Because I know there's, obviously, there's Bitfinex, there's this LNPPP association. If you could just quickly explain some of the different entities there. Yeah, actually, one of the cool things of RGB is that it's not like one company, like uh, developing a protocol for its own business goal, but it's an ecosystem of company and independent contributors, like uh, working together for like, a common goal. So it's more like an industry ecosystem effort. Uh, rather than just like one company. Mm-hmm. So yeah, basically there are currently companies working on RGB, uh, is yeah, Bitfinex with our team. Then there is the um, uh, LMPBP Association, which uh, is a Swiss association that is being used to finance uh, uh, the, the work of uh, Maxim Orovsky, which is uh, the developer that did uh, most of the protocol work so far. Then uh, uh, Maxim also has his own uh, for-profit company con- called Pandora where uh, they are working also like on a uh, wallet uh, implementation. Then uh, uh, there is uh, another company, American company called the DIBA, which stands for Digital Bitcoin Art, where they plan to do collectible and NFTs. And uh, they have their own wallet uh, called the Bitmask, which is a browser extension similar to Metamask in a way. And they, yeah, they are working to integrate RGB into this uh, wallet that they already have. And uh, then there is, uh, yeah, another like uh, not really company, more like non-profit uh, association in Japan called Diamond Dance, which also is working on their own wallet, and uh, they're uh, using a RGB lib. So yeah, there will be some uh, synergies with uh, with Iris. Yeah, then there are like a lot of independent contributors that uh, be working on their own. Gotcha. And one other area that we should address as well, we've seen discussion in the community. Now people have seen this idea of MEV, so it stands for Minor Extractable Value. Now, one of the criticisms that people leave or put up against some of these ideas is that if you create alternative assets that are using Bitcoin, and especially in the case where the asset value of that other asset goes higher than what Bitcoin's value is, or at least in a Bitcoin block sense, does that create some kind of incentive for miners where they try to game the system to their own benefit if, let's say, a Bitcoin miner can try to put things to their advantage by either delaying or advancing forward a particular transaction? So I'm curious your thoughts on this kind of criticism and whether it applies to RGB or not. Well, so there are like two things to be saying here. So first of all, uh, compared to like uh, what happens on Ethereum with uh, RGB, like miners do not have visibility on what's happening. So it's not like they can uh, yeah, delay a transaction uh, to, to, to gain an advantage because they don't even see it. That, first of all, we don't see that that one is an RGB transaction, even if they suspect it, they have no idea of uh, what this RGB transaction is moving. So there, there is really like no way for a miner to gain an advantage with RGB. And then, but still like uh, people say, oh, but uh, uh, me as a big token holder, or a big token issuer, I could bribe the, the miners to do a reorg or whatever, like uh, with the chain, to, to change something with the chain for my advantage. Which is, yeah, something that uh, uh, absolutely it may happen in the future, but uh, it's also something that can already happen with, without tokens on top of Bitcoin. Because uh, if I am uh, like a sender of a big, big Bitcoin transaction, let's say I'm sending like uh, half a billion of Bitcoin to someone else, then I have a very high economic incentive to bribe the miner to do 
a reorg of the transaction, also like a deep reorg potentially. So there is already incentives in, in place to to bribe miners. So I don't think like RGB or any other uh, token protocol on top of Bitcoin will uh, significantly like change the, the incentive. It's just basically, I mean, what's the difference to have uh, a Bitcoin transaction sending like uh, 100 million or a Bitcoin transaction committing to moving 100 million of stable coins or tokens? I mean, there is still the same kind of economic incentive that uh, could, uh, could make uh, the miners uh, uh, be want to be bribed. So I don't see like how tokens add an extra risk, if not for the fact that we are moving more value, but it's the same risk of people actually starting using Bitcoin much more. So yeah, I, I don't yeah. see tokens. So summarizing the point then is it's no different to Bitcoin today, basically. It's not, yeah. it's not creating an additional incentive uh, other than w- what already exists if we were transacting a large value in Bitcoin today, that hypothetically, uh, if somebody were to try to do a deep reorganization, et cetera, right? Yeah, because it goes down to the fact that basically uh, Bitcoin, the, the fee that miner has not to uh, do a reorg or not to like do sensor transaction or whatever is the fee that you're paying. But the fee is not proportional to the amount you're moving. So this is true for Bitcoin transaction. This is true for like token transactions. Yeah. So this is why like yeah, miners can have an incentive to be bribed uh, higher than the fee that they are receiving not to be bribed. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think that's probably a good spot to wrap up, but because we spoke about a lot of stuff today, let me try to let me try to give the 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 poor man summary, like the one minute or two minute summary. So RGB, we can think of it like this asset issuance protocol that works with Bitcoin and uh, what we can do is issue new assets, transfer those assets around to each other with privacy and scalability in mind. There are different wallets and different businesses in this ecosystem and a foundation. And so we can use RGB to do things like stable coins or potentially collectibles or potentially equity, even like securities. And the idea is that we're starting mostly on-chain, but there is some on-chain scalability in terms of one Bitcoin transaction on-chain can represent many, many, many actual RGB asset transfers in that sense. And the idea is that eventually this could move into Lightning or something like Lightning as well with the aim to provide that additional functionality for users out there who want, let's say, stable coins or other things. Would you say that's a pretty good two-minute summary or how else would you change it? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Maybe yeah, something that uh, like uh, I want to specify about uh, Lightning is that... Uh, yeah, like to work uh, RGB on Latin, you need to have uh, asset-specific channels between people. You cannot just uh, have like a RGB generic channel or like uh, any Latin channel. And uh, so the consequence of this is that they will likely work only for uh, liquid or very popular assets. So, so yeah, there is this limitation. I mean, don't expect the, the, the asset that uh, only like uh, 50 people are using to, to be viable to move on. I mean, you can still create an, a kind of a Lightning Network, which is an up and spoke model. But yeah, there are trade offs. Like Lightning is a technology that is based on liquidity and fungibility. And so you need the asset to be liquid and, and, and fungible. So realistically, stable coin may achieve that. Other very popular assets may achieve that. But for example, NFTs will never achieve it because they just don't have the fungibility and the, like uh, small. Uh, niche asset that we, we never achieve. So yeah, this is a trade-off that we need to be aware of. This is valid for RGB, as for Taro, as 
for anyone that's bidding or lighting. Yeah. Okay, great. So uh, final question then, uh, if, what do you want people to do? What are you looking for in terms of people playing around, developer contribution? What are you mainly looking for? Uh, and just your final comment for listeners. Oh, yeah, so like uh, all kinds of stuff. So like if you're interested in RGB, like if you uh, are not a technical person, uh, I mean, first of all, you can download Aris, uh, play with it and uh, get uh, like provide us some feedbacks. There is a Telegram chat that is linked in the app itself uh, that where you, you can send your feedbacks, that those are already like uh, very useful. Uh, you can like inf- learn more about RGB, like uh, to, to get more knowledge. For that, I, there is a list of resources I'm creating uh, and you can find it under the website rgb.info. There is a list of articles and um, resources that, uh, that with different uh, level of uh, technical and uh, competence required to, to understand them that uh, yeah, you, you can have a look at them, a look at. Then, uh, yeah, if you are a developer, like if you want to maybe build an application on top of RGB, you can have a look at RGBLib, which is yeah, this library that uh, lets you start uh, working on RGB without having to fully understand all the technical details. Well, if you want to more interested to work on, like, on the, to contribute at the protocol level or to understand the protocol level better, uh, you can, uh, there is the GitHub of uh, like RGB node. And uh, I mean, in the RGB info website, you also find everything linked. But yeah, you can go to to, to have a look uh, more how, how the node uh, the implementation and the protocol actually works. Fantastic. Well, uh, listeners, I'll put all the links in the show notes. And Federico, thank you for joining me. Thank you for the invitation. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Let me know what you think about some of these smart contracting protocols such as RGB and assets on Bitcoin. Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Let me know your thoughts. And of course, if you're enjoying the show, share it with your family and friends. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 439. I'll see you in the Citadels.